One of the hot topics this week at the league meetings, the Thursday night flexing possibility that the commissioner clearly wanted, Peter, and he almost got it with 22 votes, according to Albert Breer of SI.com. So we set this up with some sound we played earlier in the week, and we stripped out the music. We want you to hear it. It's not the best audio, but it's important to hear Giants co-owner John Mara with some very strong views on what it means to the fans to have games go from Thursday to Sunday and Sunday to Thursday. Here he is. Our season ticket holders, to people who fill our stadiums every week. Uh, people have gotten used to going from Sunday afternoon to Sunday night. That doesn't mean that they like it. This year, um, we can be flexed to Monday night, which I think is really inconsiderate to our, our ticket holders. But to flex a game back to Thursday night, to me, is just... Uh, abusive and I am adamantly opposed to it um, I think it, you know, it didn't get unfortunately didn't get enough votes uh, today but I'll probably revisit it in, in May. he's adamantly opposed to it and it's abusive to the fans now it's also potentially abusive to the players but that's a different issue that we'll get to Peter you and I were talking about this last week when this all first came up, and I think it was all very carefully orchestrated by the league, a selective leak to Sports Business Journal on Thursday night to get it out there, floating the trial balloon, and seeing how people reacted to it. And people reacted to it negatively. So they walked it back a little bit. Well, it would only be one time a year at the most. Well, this, well, that, well. And, and then they tabled it because they knew if they did a formal vote, it was going to get voted down. But again, if Albert's correct, and I have no reason to believe he isn't, they're only two votes away from getting the Thursday night flexing. Meanwhile, they double the number of times that teams can play between Sunday and Thursday, and they hang their hat on this idea that the injury rate's the same if you have Sunday to Sunday as it is if you go Sunday to Thursday. I think that's a selective manipulation of statistics. I think there are more factors that go into play when you talk about players playing with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off and being expected to do it again. But, Peter, they've decided, and the commissioner stood up and said, it's not a health and safety issue. Once you accept that, then why not have seven Thursday night games for a team in a given year after playing on Sunday? There's no limit if you have convinced yourself it's not a health and safety issue. And, uh, you know, sometimes they want what they want and they're going to get it no matter what anyone else says. And I feel like this is one of those, even though John Mara seems to be firmly on our side. Well, you know, Mike, a few things about what you just said. Number one, yes, Albert Breer was absolutely correct. 22 teams were in favor of this. There were two abstentions. Denver and Carolina abstained in this vote. So in other words, there are eight teams against Solidly against, as of now. Denver, Carolina on the fence in 22 teams, four. Now, I talked to two of the 22 teams, representatives of two of the 22 teams, and their attitude was, we don't like it, really, but it's something that the commissioner really thinks is important for a partner, and we think that there's a chance over the next couple of years that maybe only one or two games total will get flexed. So we don't think it's worth really fighting for. But the teams that are against it, 
Uh, some of them are really against it, like John Mara is. So I guess I would I would tell you this, Mike, that the, the other night, one of the funniest kind of ironic things that happened is, so at the league meetings every year for the last X number of years, the Pittsburgh Steelers hosted dinner. And they host it every year on Tuesday evening at the league meetings. And I've gotten an invitation quite a few times over over the years. And so I was at this dinner the other night. And in this restaurant, there were two large rooms that you could have uh, big parties. Uh, Not parties, but, you know, big dinners. And the New York Giants party was in one of them. And the Pittsburgh Steelers party was in another one. And so the Giants finished dinner earlier and came over. Joe Shane, Brian Dable, uh, John Mara, uh, several others came over just to say hi to the people in the Steelers room. And I went up and shook hands with John Mara. And he kind of looked over my shoulder and he saw Roger Goodell was at the Steelers dinner. He's there every year. And he saw Roger and he said, basically, in a light but kind of sardonic way, I better get out of here. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> but but in essence, Mike, in essence, Mike, I think John Mara knew exactly what he was saying. And he knew that it was going to create waves. And you know what? He wanted it to create waves. And quite honestly, I, I happen to be really opposed to this. I think it is, um, it's not cruel and unusual punishment. I don't mean it like that, but it's just wrong. It's just wrong. Do you know how many, I, I've I've talked this week to a couple of fans who basically uh, come from long distances, one to go see the Bengals every year and one to go see the Cowboys every year. And they travel long distances And they basically said, well, we like to go, both of them, like to go later in the year when the games are bigger. And now they said, if we do go, we're going to have to go early in the year in a a period where the games can't be flexed because we can't have this huge plan being made. And then later in the year, they say, oh, never mind. The game isn't Sunday. It's now Thursday. I think that's part of it. But I also think, to John Mara's point, You already ask your season ticket holders. You say it's about the fans. It's about the fans. It's about the fans. And, you know, the fans don't want to hear that it's about Amazon. They don't don't care. They don't care at all. But the financial reality in the NFL is that Roger Goodell looks at Amazon, and Amazon's happiness is going to be the NFL's happiness because it's very likely that streaming is not only here, but it's here to stay. And so he doesn't want them lagging way behind in TV audiences or streaming audiences. So he's going to do everything he can. In fact, I met an Amazon executive at the meetings on Monday night. And I can tell you, Amazon thought that this was absolutely going to happen. And and I think the league deep down, they're not necessarily, if you asked them on Tuesday, if they were surprised that it didn't pass. I don't think they would have been surprised because they heard so much negative about it. And, you know, I I kept, because I wrote about it last Monday and I said, I think it's a bad idea. 
And a couple of people said, "You, why are you so adamant about this? Why, why are you against it? And I said, because you guys so often discount fans in the stadium and fans who actually come to games. The NFL is such a great television sport that the NFL very often takes for granted. The, the, they'll say, oh, no, we don't. No, we don't. Yes, you do. If you're talking about moving a game and inconveniencing 50,000 people who would not want a game moved from Sunday to Thursday, then how can you just continue in this echo chamber saying it's all about the fans? No, it isn't about the fans. It's about pleasing a partner uh, in your media contracts, Amazon. Yeah, football is family. Sorry about screwing up your family trip to Las Vegas for a December game because we moved that game from Sunday to Thursday. And this applies to everyone. This is the problem. Other than the Monday night game that's already locked in in that week. Although that game could be flexed to Sunday. But when you put in Monday night flex, Thursday night flex, late season. If you have a ticket to any game, it potentially is affected. The Thursday night game could get moved to Sunday and any of those Sunday games could go to Thursday or Monday. So it's not about the in-stadium fans. They're choosing the in-home or out-of-home on cell phone device fans who congregate in the millions. I think this is what it comes down to, Peter. You hit the nail on the head. They need to get the numbers of the people who watch the Amazon game live close as they can to the numbers that they were when it was on Fox, when it was on over-the-air three-letter network, because the time is coming where networks fall out, streamers fall in, and it's not going to be 20 million. It's not going to be 30 million. It's going to be a lower number, but they got to get that number as high as they possibly can. That's what this is about. And I also think, Peter, it's about Tuesday. It's about Wednesday. And eventually it's about Friday and it's about Saturday. I know Friday, Saturday, tougher to pull off because of the antitrust exemption that applies to the broadcast rights. But I feel like if they're determined to get there, they'll get there. And the commissioner is determined. This was a rebuff to him by John Mara. He was smart to get the hell out of there because he's the guy, one of the guys who stood in the way of the commissioner getting what he wants. And we know the commissioner always gets what he wants and he believes this is good for the game. So why is anybody opposing me on this? And I wonder if it hadn't gotten out last Thursday night, if it would have gotten through, there wouldn't have been a chance for anyone to say, oh, what the hell are you people doing without and I'm not saying it was only us because it wasn't only us without the tidal wave of what the hell are you people doing? He may have gotten his 24 votes very quietly. And the first we would have heard about it would have been when the measure was passed last Monday. You know, Mike, you're you're absolutely right. I think the NFL thought that we are going to sneak this one up. You know, we're going to throw a fastball by the hitter and we're going to sneak this one in. And it's clear that there were enough people who were angered by this, who basically thought that even if 95% of our fans come from the local area, which I don't think that's true in any case, um, and as one of, the t- one of the teams that is against this told me, you know, imagine all of these people who treat – 
the Green Bay Packers game, a trip to Lambeau Field as a pilgrimage to make one time in their lives. And they want to go to a beautiful, uh, you know, noon game or or whenever, 3.30 game central time in Green Bay that, you know, a Sunday game with doing the tailgate, everything like that. Just imagine two weeks beforehand hearing that, you know, the Packers-Bears game, uh, which you're going to go to, which, you know, thousands of people every year use that Green Bay, a trip to Green Bay as a pilgrimage. And just imagine that that game then gets flexed, you know, to Thursday night. And I think the big question is, I know this is going to sound crazy. I mean, this really is going to sound crazy. But I think that that if I were a fan and this happened, I would be as loud as I could. I would protest as much as I could. And I would call the NFL for what it's being in this particular case, which is greedy. And I would basically ask just plaintively, why in the world shouldn't I get a refund for the NFL? I, in good faith, in good conscience, bought plane tickets. I bought tickets to this game that now I can no longer use. I live in Santa Monica, California. How possibly can I take three days off from work to go to a football game? Maybe if you're independently wealthy, you can. But this all all together was about one thing, and that is going to see the team that I've always loved and now you've made it impossible because I can't take three days off from work in the middle of a week to make this happen. So I, I believe, honestly, Mike, that that this is one time where I hope, I really hope, that fans and players, social media, wherever, just rise up and say, we're not going to take it. I don't sense it's going to rise to that level of groundswell And for that, I'm unhappy. But I do think that this, even though, because there's only two teams now that they need to either get off the fence of of abstention, Denver and Carolina, or two of the remaining eight uh, who voted, that voted against it, uh, I don't sense it's going to rise to the level of outrage that it won't pass. I think it probably will pass. But I wish that the outraged people would speak up because if you don't speak up now, you'll forever hold your peace. Yeah. Hey, Denver, how would you like to host a draft? Hey, Carolina, how would you like to host a draft? I mean, we know how backroom deals get made. We know that they're in a position of strength. Now they are now the Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin of the NFL ownership <laughs> where they have power, right? Am I wrong? Yeah. We know, we, we know how it works. And here's the other thing too, Peter. Anybody who stands up and says this is wrong and it shouldn't happen is going to piss off the commissioner and have to deal with him, whether it's somebody on the inside like John Mara or whether it's somebody on the outside like us. And we know he gets that look. He gets that, he gets that look in his eyes when he ain't happy. We know that look. Jim Trotter knows that look. We, and, and so if you're going to stand up to this, if you're going to push back, there's going to be a price to pay. But I agree with you. It's something that is wrong for the fans. It's wrong for the players. It's wrong for the game. I understand it's right for the money, but sometimes the money's got to take a back seat. Sometimes, as we said last week, pigs get fat 
and hogs get slaughtered. Let's take a break. Anthony Richardson put on his show at his pro day workout yesterday. We'll talk about that next here on PFT Live. The NFL never sleeps. It's pro day season. And look at Anthony Richardson. He hits the, he hit the roof of the of the indoor <laughs> facility at Florida during his pro day workout. I mean, this guy is a specimen. This guy has the potential to be a superstar in the National Football League. Scott Fitter, the Panthers GM, said he's more than a project. He's a really good player. Richardson met with the Panthers and the Raiders on Wednesday. We really don't know where he's going to land. We don't know how far he's going to fall down the top ten. When Chris Sims put his quarterback rankings together, I perked up when he talked about Anthony Richardson because he recognized this is the guy who could become the true stud of this class, the guy who could become franchise quarterback. And if I'm an owner, that's what I want. Because if he's not, I'll have a chance to draft another quarterback at some point down the road. If I'm a coach or a GM, I'm a little more concerned because this may be my only shot. But I'm fascinated by the potential that Anthony Richardson has, Peter, because it seems to be far and away the most of any quarterback in this class. I think so, Mike. Uh, but I think one of the things that gives teams pause, quite honestly, is that, you know, he's a one-year starter. He won six games as a college quarterback. And eight of his 12 games in 2022, you know, obviously this past season, he completed less than 60% of his passes. And the guy you really hear him compared to a lot is Josh Allen, who obviously had accuracy issues. Uh, at, uh, you know, in college at Wyoming. And I think anybody who takes him, I I think really has to just say, okay, listen, he may not play opening day. He may not play much in his first year. This is a player who we need to make absolutely sure when we put him out there that we don't destroy, that he's ready to go. And I think... If you only started one year of college football and 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 a team takes you and hopes uh, and plans to play you in the first year, regardless, whatever, full steam ahead. I remember, uh, you know, in 1998, going to San Diego Chargers training camp and Bobby Bethard, when I said after, you know, hearing that Ryan Leaf had had a few rough days in, in practice, I said, well... You know, you can you can just wait a while for him, can't you? And Bethard told me, he said, no, there's people who basically have bought tickets because they want to see Ryan Leaf play. And to me, and again, look, Bobby Bethard's a Hall of Famer. I'm a schmo. But uh, the bottom line is, I think you ought to be about right now, whoever takes Anthony Richardson, our goal is to have a good 15-year quarterback, not a guy who we trot out because everybody wants to see him on September 23rd or whatever day it is. So I think the important thing with him versus say CJ Stroud versus say Bryce Young is you put him out when he's ready to play. You don't put him out because you picked him third, fourth, second overall. What fascinates me is there will be push and pull among the old school football crowd that, that is rebuffed by the, the antics, the flip down the field, the 
look at me quality. But then there's the, going to be the people say, oh, we like this. We like we like somebody who's got a little of the are you not entertained quality, somebody who can be magnetic, somebody who can be like Cam Newton. When you say, hey, this guy's going to be like Cam Newton, you're going to have some people say, oh, no. And you're going to have some people say, oh, yes. This is good for business. This fills the stadium. This advances our mission of being a destination. It is an entertainment industry, and he's entertaining. That's going to be the key, and I think it comes down to, really, ownership. And I know, I know, ownership. I, oh, we don't have any say over this. Uh, you're either a football operation that wants to have an old-school nuts-and-bolts football team or you want to be entertaining and you want to embrace a new age of fans and you understand what Anthony Richardson can mean to you and he's a damn good football player. And I think that's going to be the conflict within the organizations that decide whether or not to take him because he is bringing some elements that that some will love and some won't. And I love it. I love it. I love entertainers. I love compelling personalities. Remember when Cam Newton... Told you he was going to be an entertainer and an icon. I mean, that 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 pissed some people off, but it also made some other people say, "Hey, we like entertainment. It's entertaining." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I, I'm fascinated by Anthony Richardson because I think he can be a great player, and I know he's going to be a compelling figure. And for the purposes of our business, the more compelling figures, the better. Mike, there's one other thing I think about Anthony Richardson that's that's important to realize. And that is that everybody who has talked to him, uh, everybody who has spent time with him, he is a likable leader type who you want to have on your team. It's like Mike Tomlin the other night uh, told me about, uh, you know, about, about Kenny Pickett, that Kenny Pickett is the kind of guy players really like as a teammate. That's important at the quarterback position. And Anthony Richardson is so positive and so uh, welcoming and such a good teammate that I think no matter where he goes, and even if the coach says, hey, listen, Patrick Mahomes sat the first year, Carson Palmer sat the first year, uh, Aaron Rodgers sat the first three years. So if you end up sitting your first year, that's a positive, not you know, not a negative. And look, I don't know where he's going to go, but Mike, you said something earlier and it really, and it really sparked something in me. I think right now the sweet spot in this draft is the number three overall pick with the Arizona Cardinals. And the reason that that is the sweet spot is that everybody looks at the Indianapolis Colts, Zach Kiefer, the athletic theorized recently that, that, uh, you know, the greatest thing that could happen or, or one of the things that that is logical to happen is that the Colts could go somewhere else at number four, maybe even trade down and wherever, however far they traded to, they could take Hendon Hooker at Tennessee. He's a little bit of a project and who knows when he'd be ready to play at ACL surgery, I think four months ago. And so who knows when he'd be ready to play, but he might be a 2023 project while someone else quarterbacks your team. But I only mention that because I think it's it's absolutely kind of the story now that the Arizona Cardinals need bulk out of this draft. 
And if you look at where the Cardinals are, you know, obviously they didn't do great in free agency. And they right now have, I think, the third and 30 and 34th pick in this draft. Imagine if they were to be able to trade down to pick a team, Seattle, Tennessee, whoever really loves Anthony Richardson. And I don't know who loves him right now. But imagine you get to trade down and maybe even trade down twice and you're able to pick up, let's say, three more picks in the top 60 or 70. And if I were the Cardinals, I would want the hype train for Anthony Richardson to be rolling down the tracks because that can only help them get better. And and Mike, we talked earlier in this show about what happens if you actually take Lamar Jackson on your team. Not only do you have to give up potentially two high draft choices, but you kind of have to totally derail your salary cap over the long term. And so then it becomes a situation where you absolutely need mid-round, late-round picks, not only to turn into usable players, but into starters, because your cap then is so bloated by one position that you need other guys, lesser picks, like the Rams did with guys like Nick Scott, in having them become above-average starters in Scott's position at safety. You know, that is what is necessary. So to me, I think Arizona is a fascinating spot now in the draft, especially because right now uh, Arizona needs quantity and not high quality at, say, the third pick in the draft. As you were saying that, I just had a flashback to 2017. The Chiefs spring up out of nowhere to number 10 to get Patrick Mahomes. The Texans spring up to number 12 to get Deshaun Watson. I feel like as we focus on these teams in the top 10 that we know are looking for quarterbacks, there's going to be someone plotting a move maybe as high as number three, someone we're not thinking about that falls in love with Anthony Richardson, that has an owner that wants that quality, that wants that charisma, that wants that entertainment in his or her stadium, and it's all going to come together and as we're watching the draft three weeks and six days from tonight, there's going to be that moment where we say, oh, my gosh, here it is. Here's the team that we weren't thinking about that loves this guy and has to have him and is making the investment to go up and get him. So even even Mike, if you're giving up multiple draft picks to do it. You know why you're right in this case? I didn't write this at the time. It's a kind of a nebulous thing, and it's not anything that I feel uh, is is you know, is likely to happen or anything like that. But I do know this, that when the Chicago Bears were considering trading down, there was one team that engaged uh, Chicago from much deeper down in the first round. And I can't tell you right now, was it Washington at 16? Was it Tampa Bay at 19? I, I can't answer that question. Or was it somebody even lower? I, can't, I don't know what team it was, but the fact that I've had in the back of my mind that there was a team past number nine that at least engaged the Chicago Bears briefly about this, 
I wonder if that is the team, wherever it is, that could put an offer together to get up to number three. And 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 you might say, okay, well, all right, Tampa Bay at number 19, let's just say. And I doubt it's them, but who knows? Tampa Bay wants to go from 19 to three to get the home state quarterback. Well, you know, at that point, the Arizona Cardinals would pick up probably future first round picks not only at number 19, but in 24 and 25 as well. So there is the possibility that the Arizona Cardinals, in my opinion, if they're willing to go pretty far down, might, might be able to engineer the kind of trade that could be very, very good for their team in 24, 25, 26, and not so good this year because it would mean that they would be passing on Will Anderson, who might be uh, a pass rusher for the ages out of Alabama. And you mentioned the Bears. It makes me think of a couple of years ago. Even though the regime is different now in Minnesota, the Vikings were all over Justin Fields and ready to take him as the successor to Kirk Cousins two years ago. I can't help but wonder whether or not the new Vikings regime is thinking Anthony Richardson could be the successor to Kirk Cousins because, remember, he's under contract for one more year and he's a free agent in 24 with no ability by the Vikings to keep him on the team. All right, we got to take a break. We're going to recap some of the big stories that came out of the league meetings with a grab bag when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, league meetings are over. Some things happened. Some things didn't happen. Items get tabled. Items get voted down. Items get adopted. Some of the news that came out of the week, something we thought was going to happen, the formalization of the Roger Goodell contract extension Buy or sell, Peter, the Roger Goodell contract gets done no later than the meetings in May. This will be the fourth contract extension for Goodell, who took over September 1, 2006. Three commissioners for the NFL since 1960. It's going to happen, Mike. Uh, Talking to Arthur Blank, the uh, owner, influential owner of the Atlanta Falcons, uh, he told me on Tuesday that it's there's nothing standing in the way there are no complications uh, and he expects it to happen no later than the may meetings i think most likely i mean robert Kraft is the uh is the chief negotiator for the owners on this side uh, he's had his run-ins with goodell obviously but there's no organized opposition none whatsoever when jerry jones says essentially that there's nothing standing in the way of this this is this is all but a done deal right now. Do you think this is his last contract? Probably, but you can't say. Who knows whether he would want to do it, let's say, through 2029. The only thing we do know is that Roger Goodell does not want to negotiate a new labor deal, and he does not want to negotiate a new media deal. Mike, the key thing to watch, I think, is lining up the successor candidates. As I wrote in my column on Monday, uh, I think the more than a dark horse uh, is a candidate, a 54-year-old businessman named Anthony Noto. He formerly was the NFL CFO a decade ago for two, two and a half years. And since then, he's gone on to run uh, Twitter and and other businesses. Right now, he's the COO of, of SoFi, 
which is the personal uh, insurance company. And and so right now, I think it's him. I think there are some internal candidates in the NFL led by Brian Rollap, the EVP of media. Uh, so I think that that is the next step uh, on the ladder, which is Goodell identifying one or two candidates to succeed him whenever that is. But if somebody in the league told me this week, said, look, Roger, there's nothing else Roger wants to do. And he has implied that in the past. He doesn't want to go become some big poobah to hedge fund or get on 16 boards of directors and live his life that way and play golf at Augusta and Pine Valley three times a week. He enjoys, you know, the challenge of being the commissioner. And right now there's nothing standing in his way of being said commissioner through the 2027 season at least. They better get somebody else up to speed quickly because there's a chance those media deals come open sooner than expected because there's an out clause that was reported in those deals, and I think the owners will activate it if they think they're going to get even more money than what the networks have committed to into the next decade. All right, take your pick. Most underrated rule change that was announced this week. What do you got? I would say the – impermissible use of the helmet. And everybody said, well, what does that mean? And I talked to Rich McKay. It's on my podcast this week. Uh, and one of the things that Rich McKay pointed out that I think is really interesting, Mike, you always hear about these helmet to helmet hits that don't get flagged in a game, but then players get fined heavily on Tuesday. All right. Well, there were only four helmet-to-helmet flags in 272 games in 2022. That's not many. That is not doing anything about the behavior. But this is what I was told. You know, about half of the the fines that were issued for illegal helmet-to-helmet hits, about half those fines on appeal were rescinded by the appeals officers. Well, In this particular case, impermissible use of the helmet is going to mean that any time, regardless of intent, you don't even have to lower your helmet anymore. If you go helmet to helmet and you are the aggressor, the NFL is going to fine you. And those fines now, it's not going to have anything to do with intent or using the crown of the helmet. It's just, you can can literally make contact with a person with your helmet and you are going to be eligible to be fined. And now most likely you're not going to win the appeal as a player. And so in other words, the reason the NFL is doing this because they figure that the only way to affect behavior and to literally take the helmet out of the game as much as humanly possible, the only way to do that is to have a fine system that sticks and not that goes away. Well, uh, they are definitely trying their best to take the helmet out of the game. That is a certainty, and they're going to keep moving in that direction. One last thing real quickly, Peter. Daniel Snyder supposedly selling the commanders. It feels like it's getting closer. I know you got a couple of points you want to make on that. You were out there. You were hearing some of the chatter at the league meetings. What do you know about whether or not this is actually going to happen? Arthur Blank told me or told a few of us, a little gaggle of reporters, I'm not being facetious, but you guys know as much about this as we do. 
Daniel Snyder has basically turned off the information spigot to anybody connected with the NFL. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He doesn't want to talk to the finance committee to get him up to speed about what exactly happened is happening. Most times in sales uh, of franchises, uh, the owner is very open with the rest of the league. But because Daniel Snyder uh, is angry at the NFL for a variety of reasons, he says, I'm not going to involve the NFL. They'll know when we sell this team. Okay, that's number one. And number two, Mike, I think is really interesting. I think what the sale of this franchise is going to become, honestly, is a referendum on whether this team can return to the District of Columbia and get a stadium built on the RFK site. And the reason that a lot of people in the NFL are rooting hard for that is because that's where this franchise had its glory days. So I believe that a winning bid for this team in the eyes of the NFL is a bid that returns this team uh, to the District of Columbia and makes it again Washington's team. Not Maryland's team, not Virginia's team, but Washington's team. Based on some of the things said by team president Jason Wright this week, head coach Ron Rivera, it feels like it's inevitable. I was told two weeks ago the word in the building is imminent, but there is this sense of let's just let's be quiet. Let's just let it play out because you never know when Daniel Snyder is going to change his mind. And until he signs the paperwork and the check is cleared, there's always a chance he's going to decide I'm staying. We're leaving for just a minute or two. When we return, a question of whether or not the NFL truly is finally going to start putting teams in other countries. That's something that came up this week. We'll discuss it next here on PFT Live. That was Germany last year. Peter was there. Little country roads. In Germany, get ready for more of that. Get ready for that maybe nine, eight tame times a year. Could be a team headed for Germany, a couple of teams headed to London, another team elsewhere in Europe. This was something that A.J. Perez of FrontOfficeSports.com reported the other day. And the commissioner's talked about this before, Peter. He brought it up on his own. And anytime the commissioner brings up something on his own, it's one of those things that maybe the commissioner's thinking about. Just like Thursday Night Flexing, he brought it up on his own about seven or eight weeks ago. And, and here we are. The idea of a division of international teams. They have two NFL-ready stadiums in London. Germany is gaga for the NFL. And an unnamed owner told A.J. Perez it's happening. Now, this person said two to five years. That seems a little ambitious, but I definitely feel like it's moving that way. The problem is, and the challenge is, and the fun is, unless you're a city that's losing its team, where do you get the four teams from? Even if you do two expansion teams, you have to take two existing teams from their current habitat, which is going to piss a lot of people off. You know, Mike, I read that, and I guess my my feeling is that I don't think the NFL in any way is within two to five years of having a European division. We thought, you know, I thought 10 years ago, there would be a team or two in Europe 
by 2021, 22, 23, and there's no, they're not anywhere close. Now, in order for this to happen, I don't think teams, the league would have to expand by two teams. I think the league would have to expand by four teams. And the league, I think, would be okay with that, Mike. The problem would be getting owners who like the pie to be split up into 32 pieces. The problem would be getting these owners uh, to split the pie into 36 pieces and to see long-term, the importance long-term of this rather than short-term. Because really, I think there's no question in my mind that Germany can support a couple of teams. There's no doubt at all. Uh, And I think clearly a team or two in England, uh, who knows where else. But I do think, Mike, that, that right now there would be significant opposition to uh, to a European division because of what it would do to the pie. Even though the pie would grow, I think there are a lot of owners who not only view the the uh, you know the pie, but would also view it as a logistical nightmare uh, <clears throat> to be on the same page as teams in the United States. The question is, does the pie grow so much that even when you carve it up 34 or 36 ways, you have more pie? That's the question. And there's a chance the answer is yes. And you look at some of these teams, because I could see two expansion teams, the Jaguars and one other team being the four international teams. And I'm sorry, Jacksonville, but your owner plays a game there every single year. You're going to be in this category as long as your owner plays a game there every single year. Who else would it be if it's not the Jaguars? But when you look at the revenue generated by being an owner in a given market in the United States, if you would swap that market for London or Germany or wherever where you know there's going to be a crush. Now, will the novelty wear off? That's part of the risk they're taking. But there seems to be an insatiable appetite by folks in London, which we love because they watch our show on Sky Sports, Germany, elsewhere, where you could make more money as an owner if you have a team there. We have to take a break. Yesterday was opening day for baseball, if you weren't paying attention. We're going to have a draft of the best sports days of the calendar year when PFT Live continues right after this. Ah, spring, when a young man's fancy turns to thoughts of love and or engagement. Honey... You mean everything to me. We've been together all these years. I think it's time for us to make it official. Would you please? Oh, there Oh, that poor guy. That's what you get for going on the field. There is no I'm proposing to my girlfriend exception to invading the field of play. You go out on the field and you're going to get that. Although that seems a little excessive, hitting the tackling dummy. The guy's not trying to get away from you, security guard. But still, still, enter the field, Peter King, at your own peril. Hey, uh, Mike, I've never done that before. And seeing that video, I can promise you I will never do it in the remaining (laughs) 27 years of my life. (laughs) All right. So it was opening day for baseball yesterday. And I guess for the first time ever, every team played on opening day. There was a hell of a catch by Hunter Renfro, not the one who plays 
for the Raiders, but the one who plays for the Angels. Best sports day of the year. Any sport, any day, that's our draft. Peter, you're up. Mike, I was going to take, and look, this is not 24 hours. It's about 36 hours. I guess it's illegal to do this in this game. I was going to take divisional playoff weekend where last week, last year, uh, or the 2021 season, every game decided by six points or less was an incredible weekend. But since I'm going to stick to one day, I will say the opening day of the NFL season. I would not have said this. My younger self wouldn't have said this. My younger self would have said the opening day of the baseball season because I do love baseball. But the thing about the opening day of the football season is the incredible anticipation that goes on for months and months. And then it finally gets there. And the games are good. This past season, eight of the 16 games on the opening weekend were decided by five points or less. And so the way I kind of look at it, I'll take that drama and I'll take it watching Scott Hansen on Red Zone, quite honestly, and going from game to game and drama to drama. That would be my pick for number one. I mean, for me, it begins and ends with the Super Bowl, without question. It's got to be the Super Bowl. I'm surprised you didn't take the Super Bowl because that's the culmination. That's the other end. That's the the bookend to the opening day. That's when the drama comes down to someone winning a championship. And unlike when when we were growing up and the Super Bowls weren't all that interesting because they were blowouts more often than not, it seems like every year now the Super Bowl delivers. The blowout is the thing that stands out. It used to be the good game was the aberration. You waited five years or longer for a good game. Now it seems like it delivers every single year. Um, My second pick would be, and you're right, Mike, but there's just too much of a chance that the game isn't great. And then at halftime, you're all deflated. But, But anyway, the second, my second round choice would be the opening day of the baseball season. Because I think, in my world anyway, there's so much anticipation because I pay attention to baseball in December, January, February. I look and see who did what in free agency. And my team, obviously, is the Red Sox. And every year, I make sure that I'm in a position where I can see it. And unfortunately, this year, I just couldn't see it because I was traveling. But I would I would make the point that just the idea of being able to see the green grass and you know it's it is spring bursting out all over the place and so I would say number two would be the baseball season opener see I don't have to follow baseball in December January and February because my team is the Pirates and I know what they do every year the same thing they do every other year they don't do jack diddly shit all right uh the next one for me sorry sorry London the next and Pittsburgh uh the next one for me is conference championship Sunday when we find out which two teams are going to make it to the Super Bowl that that's that's as exciting to me and it's you know I, I anticipate it the game starts now three o'clock ish. You have time to work, get a little get a little workout in, get a nice menu ready to go, and you just have that six hour window of and now this you get you get you get some games that aren't very exciting potentially if the 49ers get down to no quarterbacks, but still we know by that evening which of those four teams will be getting ready to play in the Super Bowl. We're gonna 
take a break. And when we return, one more round of our draft, the best days on the calendar sports year. More PFT Live right after this. All right, there are our picks so far. The best sports day of the year. Round three is up. I don't know where I'm going to go, Peter. You get to go first. I, I don't have many others to choose from. I'll say the opening day of the NFL draft. And this is something that I'm not crazy about saying, Mike, but there there is a byproduct of the NFL making the draft a two-month sport. And that's what the NFL has done now. March and April, you have a little bit of an interruption for free agency. But there is so much hype and so much everything for everything that you can anticipate, honestly, for the draft. And right now, what I would say, honestly, is that that is the day when it kicks off that the adrenaline really rushes around six or seven o'clock because you're waiting to see teams open their Christmas presents. I am tempted to say the first day of free agency, but I do want to give some consideration to another sport. And this is more historical for me. This is more from growing up. I went to two of these, the baseball all-star game. I don't even watch it anymore but I had a very strong affinity for baseball when I was a kid. I love the all-star game. It was so much fun to watch the image of, of Pete Rose taking out Ray Fossey is burned into my brain. That was an all-star game. I went to the Cincinnati game in 88, the Pittsburgh game in 94. And, and it just has, it has a lot of nostalgia for me, even though I don't watch it anymore. I still am aware of it, and it feels special to me, if that makes any sense at all. It's a great point, Mike, and I love that game, too. The problem is too many guys now, just like the Pro Bowl, are taking it off. Pitchers don't really want to pitch there. I I mean, it's really lost its luster for me. Well, hopefully, if the show's lost its luster, I mean, I guess you're in luck because we're done. You have three days to recharge and rediscover the luster. We'll be back on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Peter, thanks as always. Great job. See you Monday.